How are you guys doing today? Good, good. You guys ready for Micah? Yeah, I'm not. <laughs> Micah is a, uh, is, is a good book when you understand the context of it. It is not an easy book. Uh, Micah, it, the struggle with Micah is it goes between hope and destruction back and forth in the different sections. And, it, and for me, I wrestled to understand how it relates uh, to God's future plan. So uh, if you guys see me stumbling, you know why. It's not for lack of effort. Uh, really have gotten a great picture from God of what He wants through His Word. And I think there are some very ac- applicable parts for us. Anyways, in, uh, in verse 1, he addresses uh, who he's prophesying against and the time period, the cities and the time period. He says, The word of the Lord which came to Micah of Moreseth in the days of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, king of Judah, which he saw concerning Samaria and Jerusalem. Now keep in mind that Samaria is the capital of the northern kingdom, Israel, right? And Jerusalem is the capital of the southern kingdom, Judah. Now the years of reign of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah extend between 735 and 700 B.C. And Micah, he was a contemporary to Isaiah, and he prophesied during the tragic days where the Assyrians conquered Samaria at 722 B.C. Now Micah, in dealing with the sin of the people, uh, it wasn't just the people, it was the political leaders and it was the religious leaders that, that he confronts for their sin. And the way that Micah does this, uh, he mentions this word three times in the three different sections. Now, if you're taking notes and you're going to study Micah on your own at a later point, you might want to jot, jot down the section breaks, but we won't mention it again here. Uh, the first section is chapter 1 and 2. Second sec- section is chapter 3 through 5, and then the third section is 7 and 8. And he mentions this word here each time as he starts that new section with a command. And the command is really uh, that each of them would hear what the case is and the the sin and the social injustice, uh, the judgment and the hope, forgiveness and restoration. That's what he's claiming to hear in each of those three sections. Before we jump into verse 2, let me pray. Lord, we need You. Not only do I need You to communicate Your Word, Lord, I realize according to Your Word that apart from You, I'm ineffective. God, as Your people, we're ineffective apart from seeking You daily. And as we look at Micah and the people of Micah, Lord, when they weren't with You, they pursued sin and there was judgment for their sin. But God, I'm so thankful that in the midst of that, You give us hope in the coming Messiah from their perspective. And You give us hope in a coming eternity with You, Lord. And I pray that that these things would be clear not only to the people here, but that it would go beyond so that we live according to your word. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We'll go verse 2 real quick. He says, Hear you peoples, all of you, pay attention, O earth, and all that is in it, and let the Lord God be a witness to you, 
the Lord from his holy temple. Now he's talking about the Lord God being a witness. Micah's claiming to the people, hear me. Hear me about what I'm about to say. As much as God is a witness to this, and you peoples of the earth, hear me. Now it wasn't for the people of Samaria and and Judah that he's speaking to only. He mentions earth because it's for the people of the world to understand this idea that for sin, there's just judgment. And also, he wants them to understand that there's a promise to a coming Messiah. Of all the prophets that we've looked at at this point, none of them give a clear picture of the Messiah like the book of Micah does. Micah, he talks to them as as he's talking to a jury. He talks to, to the people presenting the facts to them so that once they see the facts and they they see the judgment that's coming, they understand that the judgment is just. No different than when you go to a court. Of course, sometimes our courts, you don't like the results. They're not necessarily just, but with God being a just God, the results are perfect. As it was a court, they present all the facts. So when the jury decides, nobody typically questions the judgment. In our case, we do. Micah doesn't communicate this destruction, or Micah communicates the destruction. He doesn't implement it. It's clearly God that implemented it. It's the people that bring it on themselves through their sin. Let's go to one uh, chapter, or chapter one, verse six. He says, "Therefore, I will make Samaria a heap in the open country, a place for planting vineyards. I will pour down her stones into the valley and uncover her foundations." All carvings and images shall be beaten to pieces. All her wages shall be burned with fire. All her idols I will lay waste. For from the fee of the prostitute she gathered them, and to the fee of the prostitute they will be returned. Now, in this section, it's, it's dealing with what God is going to bring forth in them, but it also points out the sin. The sin is the idolatry, talks about her images, the gifts of the prostitutes, and what he brought about. And I just, I'm going to say it again. We need to remember that as God brings this justice, that God is just in his judgment for sin. Let's go to chapter 2. 1 through 3. He says, Woe to those who devise wickedness and work evil in their beds. So now we're going to see the sin of what God executes the judgment for. And the sin that they devise in their beds is something that they meditate on. They process the sin. They think about it. They work to be intentional in hurting the people around them. When in the morning dawns, they perform it because it is in the power of their hands. Verse 2. They covet fields and they seize them and houses and they take them away They oppress a man and his house, a man and his inheritance. Therefore, thus says the Lord, behold, against this family I am devising disaster from which you cannot remove your necks and you shall not walk haughtily for it will be a time of disaster. So the sin is is genuinely against the, the people that are coveting the fields and they seize them. They take the properties. They take even the inheritance. I, don't, I mean, I don't have necessarily inheritance, but for some people, that's what they're dependent on. 
And, and these wicked people actually take the inheritance from them, and that's an offense to a holy God, and it's clearly not what He's asked of them. The, the sin I would list is covetous, stealing, and pride. Let's go chapter 3, verse 9. Hear this, you heads of the house of Jacob and rulers of the house of Israel who detest justice and make crooked all that is straight, who build Zion with blood and Jerusalem with inequity. Its heads give judgment for bribes. Its priests teach for a price. Its prophets practice divination for money. Yea, yet they lean on the Lord and say, Is not the Lord in the midst of us? No disaster shall come upon us. Now we're we're seeing who is committing the crime. It's the people, it's the religious leaders, and it's the political leaders. So it's from the top down. They're committing these crime uh, on the people that have less. It's, It's an aspect of social injustice on these people. In fact, it's crazy to me at the end of verse, uh, let's see, 11, it's crazy to me. They say, is not the Lord in the midst of us? No disaster shall come upon us. So here they commit these sins, these crimes against the people, and they even claim God, and in their actions, they deny Him. I think, does that happen in our lives? Sometimes. We often claim God, and our actions, we deny Him. We claim God, and and do things that are offense to God. Now let's, uh, let's back up to chapter 1, verse 6. We've seen the sin. We've seen who's committed the sin. And we've seen the destruction. As we back up to 1, verse 6, we'll confirm what the destruction of God does. Therefore, I will make Samaria a heap in the open country a place for planting vineyards. I will pour down her stones into the valley and uncover her foundations. When he is done with Samaria, it's going to be leveled. It's going to be a heap of rubble in the land. He rolls the rocks about, and and that's his judgment. Now, his judgment is just for the sin. We see that clearly. Now, in Micah's time, this takes place. In 722 B.C., this takes place. I mentioned it earlier. And also, I'm not going to go there. You can read if you'd like. But chapter 4, chapter four verse 10, Micah prophesied against Babylon. Well, that took place as well, but it happened long after Micah's life. It was about 5, 586 B.C. Now remember, God, Micah doesn't destroy them. They destroy themselves. God is just. His judgment of sin, in his judgment of sin. Now, I, as far we've heard uh, where we're at, now we're talking about where we're going. The hard part is, can we believe that God is merciful and forgiving at this point? That's a hard concept for us to understand. Is God merciful at this point in the perspective of Samaria and Judah? From their perspective, they don't see that. Well, the unique thing, God promises that in the midst of this destruction. He gives us hope through the Messiah. Chapter 5, verse 2. But you, O Bethlehem, 
Ephrathah, you are too little to be among the clans of Judah, for you shall come forth for me, one who is to be a ruler of Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Therefore, he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel. And he shall stand and shepherd the flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord, his God. And they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth. Now we realize that, and, and through this prophecy, it gives us a picture of two things for the people of Samaria and Judah, and also for us to the rest of the world of who God is. And those two things are, He magnifies His glory and He leads His people. Right? Praise God, right? He magnifies His glory and that's what God's in the business of doing. He desires that His glory is elevated. And it's not that it's elevated in just for His sake, it is, but we reap the benefits of Him magnifying His glory. Chapter 5, verse 2, the ruler in Israel who's coming forth from the old ancient days... He's a ruler that was planned, planned before creation to come for the people. He wasn't spontaneous. He didn't just appear, right? He was a ruler that God had set apart for divine purpose with the providence of Yahweh. That's it. He's from the seed of David and the rod from the stem of Jesse, who was from Bethlehem. He is the Messiah. He leads his people. Chapter 5, verse 4. He shall stand and shepherd his flock. Uh, this shepherd, he's the chief shepherd. He's the shepherd of shepherds, right? And, he, and the sheep are God's people. That's us. That's the people that were willing to repent and turn toward God. That's the sheep. The sheep are those that, in their perspective, hung their hope on this Messiah. And our perspective that believe and have embraced the truth of what happened 2,000 years ago. And there's a great imagery of the shepherd, this picture in Psalm 23. Turn there real quick. Everybody on their electronic device is already there. says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. That's a perfect picture of a shepherd and the shepherd that's promised to us in Micah. It's the idea that he cares for us. He leads us to water. He feeds us. He leads us to a place that we can feed where we don't have to worry about the adversary. That's the shepherd that cares. Now, some of you might think that you don't need a shepherd. Well, we all need a divine shepherd. That's the reality. Amen. That's right. We all need a divine shepherd. And we may often think, I don't need it. But when trial hits, tragedy hits, circumstances get tough, 
You face challenges on, in this earth, which you will. You will face challenges on this earth. And I'm glad we face challenges on this earth. I'm not glad that people suffer or struggle. I'm not. Don't misunderstand that. But I'm glad we face challenges on this side of eternity. And the reason is it reminds us that there's a hope in eternity forever where there will be no more tears, no more struggles. And when those trials face, you'll need a divine shepherd, no matter how you look at it. In the midst of the destruction, there's glimpses of God's glory. For those who are humble enough to repent, when those turn to Him, God gives them hope. Chapter 6, verse 7 of Micah. He says, the Lord will be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of river of oil, rivers of oil. Shall I give my firstborn for my transgressions, the fruit of my body for my sin and soul? He has told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your Lord, your God. Now, if I, could, if I could put that in reverse, I would say that you'd have to start to walk humbly with the Lord your God. And he puts that there to contrast that it's not a bunch of rules. Religion isn't these things that I have to... I don't have to bring uh, tens of thousands of rivers of oil. I don't have to bring thousands of lambs. I don't have to give my firstborn for my sin. That's not what he wants of us. What he wants, and like I said earlier, we'd start it in reverse, that we would walk humbly with the Lord your God. And that's what he's asking for the people of Micah, and that's what he's asking for us. That we'd walk humbly with the Lord your God. That we'd come to a place that we understand that he is God, and he is God of the universe, and he loves us. And that he's provided the perfect lamb that was going to die on the cross for us. And in that understanding, we would surrender and follow. And we seek him through his word and his spirit leading. And then, and only then, can we love kindness and do justice. Love kindness is to really love kindness. is to love the things that God has put before us that are not in our human nature, but empowered by God, they're the things that care for those in need. It's the opposite of what the people in, in Israel and in, uh, Jerusalem are doing. It's the opposite of that. In fact, it's to love mercy not just have mercy, it's to love mercy. Now think through that for a second. What does it take to love mercy? What does that look like? There's needs all over. I read an article recently that, that we, not that it's absolutely relevant, but we consume more than half of the world's resources, and we're a small portion of the world. And then I read some stats as some of the hunger that exists around the world. I read... Just some details and needs that exist in, you know, even sex trafficking and, and those needs here. I believe that God has a heart for that and He wants us engaged in that stuff. In fact, go to Matthew 25 real quick. Let's start at verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, 
Then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him he will be gathered the nations. And he will separate people one from the other as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. And the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to visit. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry or feed you or thirsty or give you a drink? And when do we see you as a, when do we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly, I say to you, as you did to one of the least of these brothers, the least of these brothers, you did it to me. And God's heart is that we would care for those. And it is a picture of doing it for him. And he contrasted. Verse 41. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me. You cursed into eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me food and I was thirsty and gave me drink. I was a stranger. You didn't welcome me. Naked and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison. You didn't visit me. Then they will also answer saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer, truly, truly, I say to you, truly, I say to you, as you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do it for me. And these will go away from eternal punishment. Now, the key is that you repent. The key is, is that you walk humbly with the Lord your God and you, you walk with the desire to live filling, fulfilling His purposes. And then that will be your nature. And then you don't have to sweat that condemnation, the, the wrath of God. And then you naturally do justice. You naturally do the things of His will. That justice is doing right. And if I could sum up justice, I would say in, in James 14, verse 17, it says... He who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it, sins. That's a scary passage. He who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it, sins. And God desires that we... And now I could say you didn't pick up the trash, you sinned. I could say that. But at the end of the day, that's not what the Lord's asking. He who sees a need, who sees something going on and doesn't engage, that's sin. And that's not the desire of the Lord. But if that's true, what, what, does, what assurance does Micah give us that God has mercy? It's a picture of judgment is dark. It's really dark. Is there forgiveness in the midst of that? Absolutely. Let's go to Micah chapter 7. Verse 18. Who is a God like you, pardoning inequity and passing over transgressions for the remnant of his inheritance? He does not retain his anger forever.
because He delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our inequities under our feet. He will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. You will show faithfulness to Jacob and steadfast love to Abraham as you were sworn to the fathers from the days of old. That's our God. That's the Messiah. That's the shepherd we live for. It's His work that redeems us. And if that's the God we live for, then only God can fulfill that. And so Yahweh and only Yahweh can pardon our sins and transgressions for the remnant of His inheritance. Yahweh and only Yahweh does not stay angry forever. Yahweh and only Yahweh likes to show mercy. Yahweh and only Yahweh will have compassion, tender heartfelt concern on Israel. And then Yahweh will deal with with their transgressions and inequities by figuratively speaking, treading them underfoot and hurling them into the sea. And last, Yahweh is true, faithful to Jacob, and shows mercy to Abraham. Amen. Now, for some of you that are in here and you're trying to figure out what belief is and, and what does it look like, I see a lot of faces I recognize, but I don't know everyone in here. What do you do with that? Well, God is just in His judgment for sin. Remember that. God is just. He's going to weigh it out like a jury. Your sin is going to be accounted for and presented, and your sin is going to be weighed out and presented to, in essence, a jury, which is God. And you can't say, well, my parents believed, so that must qualify. You can't say, I did good. I did good. I did good. I worked hard to do good. Because that's not going to qualify either. In fact, no good brings us into God's presence. Right? What He wants for us is a surrender heart. If we go to Matthew 25, you don't have to turn there. I'll just... I'll say in short, Matthew 25, he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father. Many will say, Didn't we prophesy, cast out demons, perform many miracles? And Jesus says, And then I'll tell you plainly, away from you, I never knew you. Well, the good doesn't get us there. I'll say, I'll say even doing the will of the Father doesn't get you there. The reason the will of the Father doesn't get you there because Jesus dying on the cross is what covers our sin to come into eternity. When we stand before the ultimate judge who is just, it'll be God. And the only thing that'll allow us to enter eternity is the blood of Jesus on the cross. That's it. That's the only thing that allows us there. And there's nothing that qualifies us. And then, and only then, when the will of the Father in heaven, or only then will the will of the Father in heaven come into play. Then and only then. When He's done it and we surrendered and we've committed to be His and we seek Him through His Word and His study, then and only then will we have a desire out of love to do justice and love mercy. And those things just prove what we know. And so I'm saying, if you're in here and and one, you know, you've got a background that just that has a lot of rules and things that you're subject to, then, then I would just ask 
that you do business with the Lord. And you just tell him, Lord, there's nothing I can do that's good enough. And thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the cross. And Lord, I, I, I believe that he died on the cross for my sins. If that's you, tell him. And if you've got questions, talk to somebody about it. If you're struggling with sin and you see that God's judgment is just, talk to somebody. Talk to somebody over here. Talk to me afterwards. Because my heart is that everyone here, I get to celebrate in eternity with forever. But I don't have that confidence. I believe you could have that confidence, and I know God has that confidence based on where you're at. So let me pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for who you are in our lives. God, I thank you for, I thank you so much for the Messiah. God, that we could hang our hope in him. And God, that it's through your work that we get to inherit eternity. And Lord, for the people in Micah, in the midst of your judgment that your word clearly lays out as just, Lord, thank you that you don't leave them there. Thank you that it doesn't rest there for them, that you promised even them a hope. And Lord, in your word, you talk about saving a remnant. Thank you, Lord. I pray that you would lead us into faithfulness. I pray that if there's anybody in this room that's wrestling, that doesn't believe, Lord, that your spirit would do a supernatural work. Lord, we love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen.